Scooter and the big man bust the city in half. Michael Conforto made the catch of the year, and Pete Alonso put the Metsies in front, keeping their playoff hopes alive in a must-win game. We break down a memorable night at City and look ahead to the final 16 games of the season. The post, Zach Braziller, joins us to talk about the Mets' playoff hopes and a potential bright future with Steve Cohen at the helm. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York Post. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. That's the voice of former Met who got mentioned on the air by Gary Cohen the other night, Nelson Figueroa. I'm his co-host, Jake Brown. Stop what you're doing right now and go into Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. If you don't use Apple, find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zach Braziller from the New York Post will join us later in the show. But first... And he drives one out to right field, chasing Conforto back to the warning track over his head, and he made the catch! Oh my god! Oh wow! Michael Conforto saves three runs with a remarkable play! It was over his head, it hit the glove, it popped up, he caught it a second time, and he saves three runs! Mets with some outstanding outfield play in that inning, none better than Conforto, what a grab! Now the pitch to Ruiz, swing and a drive, well hit to right, Conforto going back, way back, way back, reaches, and he made the catch! He made the catch over his shoulder, and runs softly into the fence to the right of the 370 mark, one of the defensive plays of the year from the New York Mets. Michael Conforto just saved three runs. He had his back to the infield. He extended as far as he could. The ball snow-coned a bit. He secured it in his glove. And you'll be seeing that one all year because Michael Conforto might have just saved not only the Mets game, but if they go anywhere this year, their season. That catch was that big. Scooter and the big man bust the city in half. Oh, man, Figgy, what a night Wednesday. And thanks to the calls there from Gary Cohen from SNY, Howie Rose from WCBS 880 AM. Scooter and the big man busted the city in half. And Figgy, I don't know about you, but when Michael Conforto made that catch, it's almost like he didn't know where it was going to go and it kind of landed there. You saw his head kind of turn and it just got in there and he snow coned it. Made the catch of the year, saved three runs from scoring, and honestly, Howie Rose wasn't exaggerating. The Mets lose that game, and your hopes for this team to go to the playoffs are pretty much as low as they could possibly be. He saved three runs, he saved the game, and he really kind of did save the season. No, he saved you as well, I'm pretty sure. I, I know your rooftop uh, is a nice, peaceful kind of thing, but if they lose that game, I'm sure you're going to be sitting up there for another reason. So thank you to Scooter, uh, Michael Conforto, for making that catch. I mean, that was incredible it's not what he's known for but i mean he went so far what was it the probability catch probability was 20 percent, 20 percent, and he got back there threw his glove out we seen him make the over the shoulder catch earlier in the week and then you see him able to make that play right there and how huge is that and just shows you what a big part of this team he is and continues to be, not just with his bat, but his glove, his arm. We've seen him make some big big throws as well this year. His game has come full circle. And when you talk about 
a guy who is is probably the most I would say low key star on the team. It's Michael Conforto because all he does is go out there and, and produce and do things like he did last night that just make you go wow. And that was Scooter. And then there was the big man. And I, I learned later on that Scooter and the big man busted city in half. Not a Springsteen guy, but it's from a Bruce Springsteen song. It is from the song. And the big man did his part. Go ahead, Homer in the eighth figgy. His fifth Homer in seven games. Go ahead, Homer. He hit the walk off versus the Yankees Thursday. He's had a couple of clutch Homers. For this Mets team, keeping their hopes hanging by a thread to get them to 20 and 24. There are a couple games out still with 16 to go. We'll look at uh, their remaining schedule in a little bit. But Figgy, man, it's good to see Pete kind of start hitting the ball and doing it in the clutch because that's what he was good at last year. Seventh inning and beyond, he was hitting clutch homer after clutch homer. And out of 53, you would imagine some of them are clutch, and he had a ton of them. And he's going to have to do more of his heroics these last couple of weeks. The lineup has not been the problem, and a big part of the lineup doing well is the heart of the order hitting, and Pete Alonzo doing his part. So Scooter and the big man uh, are carrying the Mets right now, and my God, it was it was one of those thrilling games that you thought had more impact than a team just trying to get four games under. That's what it felt like. You know, it felt like if Conforto and Alonzo do that in front of fans, they I'll hear it from a sto- my Astoria rooftop that I would have jumped off if they didn't do it. Yeah, you know, right now you look at uh, Alonzo starting to swing the bat a lot better. The other guy that really has turned his season around is got to be McNeil. McNeil has been outstanding, also defensively. In left field, it's not his natural position. He made a fantastic diving catch in the ball game as well. The he sent Mets, homers too. He sent four, he a homer homers, in four, four straight. straight games. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that he brings to the table when he's going good and he can get the barrel to almost every single pitch throughout the strike zone. What you're not seeing is that. Remember, we talked about his body language, how dejected on every swing. You're not seeing that anymore because what's he doing? He's not missing those pitches right now hitting the ball all over the field. He's got the, the the swing that fits to every single kind of pitch, down and in, up and away. You're seeing him do it, the opposite field home run, showing he has that kind of power. So right now they're clicking the offense on all cylinders, and it's so frustrating, so frustrating, that if you had half, half of a starting rotation, you would have no problem being able to get deeper into these ball games and giving they give you a chance to win. And – it is true. We, we hear sometimes and we say it's cliche and it's lip service. The manager goes out there and talks in the postgame and he's like, you know, these guys don't give up. You know, even when they get blown out, they're not giving up. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're putting together at bats. They're trying to, you know, do some things and they don't give up. They didn't give up in this game. They came back. I know I was I'm looking at the score and I'm like, oh, my God, already. Here we go already. Waka doesn't have it. Porcello doesn't have it. Every night it seems like whoever starts the game, Gaselman in this weird uh, opener role with the only opening that is is a can of whoop-ass every game, every time he's, he started, and you were behind four or five runs in the first two innings. That's not what's supposed to be done. That opener role is supposed to be a guy that can dart through the top of that lineup quickly and efficiently so that then they turn it over to somebody else, like a long reliever that can go in and turn the lineup over. And then you shorten the game so that the back end guys come in. And that's not happened. That, that hasn't happened. The Mets don't even have another starter that's qualifying as a starter. Your next best starter happens to be a guy who was your best reliever. And you look at Seth Lugo and what he's been able to do in this short amount of time because he's getting stretched out and getting more confident. Things are starting to click a little bit and you hope that it can carry over. Like the off day might have been at the wrong time. You want this kind of momentum that kind of builds off of when you have a complete game like that and the defense all around. Even Guillaume coming in 
in that last inning and making that play that he shouldn't have to make because of the shift. So we saw a lot of good defense. We saw, again, timely hitting is what we said they didn't have, right? They weren't hitting the, the big clutch hits, too many runners in scoring position. Well, leave the yard. And they did that, what, four times last night, impressively uh, with Peter Alonso kind of putting the icing on the cake. So start to smile a little bit, hope that the off day was, you know, is well needed and well rested. And hopefully they can get on the street because you got two of your best pitchers, starting pitchers going here this weekend. Yeah, I didn't want the off day because I want the momentum. But when you think about it, the bullpen's being overused like crazy. So they might need it. Hopefully they go into Buffalo this weekend refreshed. So weird to even say that because in the past that was the one of the minor league stops. And now it's a minor league stadium with a major league team who's actually playing great baseball, five games over five. 500, the Toronto slash Buffalo Blue Jays are playing good. And like you said, DeGrom, Lugo, and then Sunday's a question. It's, it's slotted to be Peterson potentially, but do you start him again? Uh, I mean, what do you do on the Peterson front? Because he was bad Monday. Waka was atrocious Tuesday. As you said, Gazelman out of the pen was atrocious. And now he is done for the season with a broken rib. Um, and, you know, as Gazelman was getting rocked, uh, they were talking about another pitcher getting rocked. He used to pitch for the Mets and Nelson Figueroa. Okay. Uh, and uh, you send, t- tell us what happened. You send a text to Gary. Yeah. So as I'm watching the game, you know, they hit a, anytime they hit a ball to that part of the stadium, it always comes up when they start talking about the biggest home runs in city field history. Well, Mark Reynolds, that game I pitched against the Diamondbacks, hit two of them off me and one further than the next. Um, and as they're saying it, I text Gary Cohen and I'm like, uh, easy there. Let's not talk too much about those two blasts because you know who they were off of. And he immediately just writes back like a ha-ha, goes on the air and he says, I just received a nice text. I don't know what was nice about it because I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get mentioned here. But he says, I just received a nice a nice text from Nelson Figueroa informing me that it was he who gave up those two blasts. And Keith was the best because Keith goes, yeah, pitchers never forget those long ones. I was like, yeah, because I'm constantly reminded of it. Whenever I got a buddy from high school who anytime Mark Reynolds does anything anywhere on the planet, even when he retires, I'm going to get text messages from him like, oh, remember these two home runs? He, he has it actually, I think, on a uh, GIF so I can just watch it and replay and, and loop nonstop. So listen, I've seen out of this pitching staff, the bullpen get churned up and, and really beat up. You got to remember, they lost Syndergaard right away. Stroman never showed up for the season and and, and opted out. Everybody went down. Batances is out, and, and Matts is out now probably for the season. Those those were two key guys, Matts either rotation or bullpen, and Batances was supposed to be your setup guy. Yeah, so now you have where you're looking at Peterson, and yes, he had a bad start, but you know the reason why he had that bad start is he was tipping pitches. You watch uh, Paul LaDuca uh, posted two side-by-side pitchers that made it very, very clear about how he was opening his glove on his changeup and he just had his glove nice and tight on his fastball. A team like the Phillies, who are a veteran team, there's a video now out on Peterson. It's not a surprise and it's not something that you have to see with the naked eye. It's the video's out and they're, they're noticing it. And so that was why it was more tough for him to get those swings and misses. But what you saw out of him also was just command was all over the place, trying to do too much, got behind early and, and just couldn't write the ship. And before you knew it, it was five runs very quickly. Um, I'm st- I still have confidence in his stuff because he does he, he does put it together well when he has it all going out there. And as long as he's not tipping pitches because they're, they know it, the whole league knows it now. Whenever you see a, a young kid all of a sudden have a rough start, every team watches that video footage. And what they're looking for is exactly what I just said. Somebody is noticing something and they picked up on it. Hopefully he can make the, uh, if he can make the adjustment 
he'll be just fine because I've loved everything I've seen about about him thus far. He's had one bad start. And Waka and Porcello in that rotation, man. <sighs> I mean, Luis Rojas has talked about he hasn't ruled out a four-man rotation. With only 16 to go, you got to consider it, honestly. I would be perfectly fine with it. But moving forward after that, there's no way you can bring them back. They have just been atrocious. I know Porcello's had a couple of good starts, but otherwise he stunk. Waka stunk, and he had the injury mixed in. And, I mean, there's only so many times where you can use the excuse of 60-game season. Guy didn't, you know, stay in shape or keep his arm fresh over during the layover from March through June. I don't, I, especially if Brody's gone and, and Steve Cohn comes in and cleans house, those are two guys that you can't move in there. And, you know, we've talked about this over and over, Figgy, that the rotation is kind of in shambles for next season because at this point, Lugo's been so good that you probably have to have him as a starter next year. DeGrom, and then, you know, you're hoping Syndergaard, that's three. You're still going to have two holes there. Peterson, maybe, but again, he came up from double A because he was, they kind of desperately needed him here. He's not a guarantee for the rotation next year, but what I've seen from Porcello and Waka, I don't want any part of them on the 2021 Mets. No, that's a foregone conclusion. There's no, there's no way, there's no room for them. They actually, you want to have an opportunity. What are you going to do with Steven Matz? You're going to make him a long reliever. Uh, I mean, I can't see him going the way of the Oliver Perez as of yet, but there's something, something there, whether you trade him and try and get other pieces that you might need, but they definitely have to address their starting pitching depth because they don't have many options after that because they have traded away so many of the young starters to get people that they thought they needed in place now to compete now. So it's, it's, it's bittersweet for me because I remember last year when they went on that stretch run, right. They, or they, they won, what was it like 15 games out of 16 or something like that. It was something crazy like that. And I said, the timing is bad. They did it in August. There's still a whole month of September to play. If you do it on the way as you're getting close, like now, like now you're on that stretch run. You've got to put together six, seven wins in a row. If you can do that, that's when you put the pressure on the other team and you just start going out there expecting to win. And you you, you play with a different kind of uh, almost confidence, a swagger. The clubhouse is different. The music is louder. The guys are all smiling. Everybody's happy, you know. And, and what we've seen from this team is there's been a lot of guys that have you know, been taking part in these victories. Uh, Dom Smith has been so consistent um, throughout the season. You know, he went through a little slump and it's still, you know, he's a guy that I want to see with runners in scoring position because I know he's putting barrel to the ball most of the time. Pete Alonso turning it back on, like I said, McNeil. Uh, you got all the way down, Cano swinging a, you know, a hot bat. You've seen exit velocity off his bat again. So he's swinging a crisp bat. The only one that really you, you suffer with right now and R Ramos has hit a, a couple of balls hard, I guess you can say. It was the only thing good for him, but he's been a strikeout machine. He's been a disappointment with the bat, where he's supposed to be so good with the bat. I, I just hope, that, again, that this one game, that one comeback, because they've made those comebacks. We've seen him do it. They've seen him keep fighting, but they've got to string together wins. You have to find a way to do it, and you can't have these leaving guys in way too long. Uh, Luis Rojas has to learn, has to learn. Hey, three runs, that's it, gone, out. Get them out. You can't have these guys – you know, going through the lineup and, and trying to, you know, preserve arms for the next day. There is no next day right now. This is a stretch run. You kind of got to play every game like it's game seven. If you're not, 
then you really are, are not going to give yourself a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, Figgy, 16 games to go. They got three at the Blue Jays, who are over 500. Three at the Phillies, who are over 500. Three versus the Braves, who are over 500, and just dropped an NL record 29 runs against the Marlins as the Falcons defeated the Dolphins 29-9, to getting us ready for football season. Three versus the Rays at City Field, who are very much over 500 and a World Series candidate, which I know you love considering that's what you picked for the American League going into the season. And they wrap up, who would have thought, four at the Nats, who are under 500. So they only have that final series versus an under 500 team. That's on the road, and it's against a team that you know wants to play spoiler against the Mets. So, man, if you know, you really got to go 11 and 5. I mean, 10 and 6 makes it very scary and may put you in a tiebreaker scenario. And even 11 and 5, we, we don't know what these other teams are going to do. Now, there's a big, just how you write it up, a seven game series between the Phillies and Marlins that got underway today. I mean, if that's not 2020, I don't know what is a seven game <laughs> series that can make or break one team season. If one team beats the other five out of or six out of seven or wins all seven, that I mean that helps the Mets because it doesn't knock the other team out, but it puts them closer to where they are. So that's that series is going to have a big factor. But Figgy, you know, 11 and five puts you two over 500. That probably does it. But this schedule is brutal coming up, and they're really like we talked about going to have to have starting pitching step up. You know, Rojas is going to have to be better. He has to have guys ready. He's got to stop overusing and really using Miguel Castro in big spots. And as crazy as it sounds, Edwin Diaz, I mean, don't look back now. He's got a 189 ERA outside of those four blown saves, those four outings. He hasn't given up a run. So other than those four big spots, and you look at it, those are four games that they win. That's a 500 team. So it shakes things up. But, I mean, I, I, listen. I still do not trust him in save situations. But, I mean, it's hard to deny that for a majority of the season, he's actually been good. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's sad because everybody always thinks the latter. They're, they're, they're always thinking, oh, man, when's he going to blow another one, right? It's not been that confidence of, oh, good, Diaz is coming in to shut, to shut the door. The man has, uh, and, and I know you hate hearing it, but the electric stuff, right? And just, you have to fail. He, he had success so quickly in the big leagues and 57 saves was, you know, tremendous for a, a team like Seattle. And then you bring him to New York on the big stage and he fails and he gets booed. And I mean, not just booed, but he's getting booed as he's being mentioned as the person warming up. The fans are booing him. Um, that takes a toll on you. So we said, you know, this, this year without having fans there, it was going to be a, a chance for him to kind of turn things around. And other than the, yeah, I know it's four blown saves, but other than those four blown saves, the guy has been dynamic with the, uh, exactly what as advertised, you know, striking out almost two an inning, two out of the three he's facing. So although I, he I, still I, puts runners on figgy and it scares you. And Guillaume kind of saved him Wednesday night with that diving play, which we talked about earlier would, would have been a routine grounder without the shift, but he, he does make, Guys on base, walks guys. He does. He rarely has a clean one, two, three inning. Listen, how many, honestly, how many closers can you say that about in this day and age? Honestly, how many closers do you sit back and you're like, you're, you're like, hey, you know what? This is, this is like, look at the Phillies bullpen. Hector Norris, you know what I mean? He comes in and you're like, for the Mets, they're licking their chops. They're excited. So it's, it, it's not the same like it used to be. It's not these closers that come in and it's oh, guaranteed one, two, three. There's no more Marianos. It's not going to happen. You don't have that kind of dominance um, and, and that length of dominance anymore. The 
best closer in baseball, 57 saves two years ago. And then all of a sudden you're, you're not, you're scared to put him in, in a big situation. So it was something, something to be said about that. And, and those big contracts that came, those relievers like that, right. You saw the Kelly, the Kenley Jansen guy, you know, gets, what was it like $15 million a year, raise the bar for closers and how important they were. And now all of a sudden you start to see baseball and especially a team like Tampa Bay, where they're they're uh, I don't think their whole team makes 15 million a year, but they go out there and they have these plus plus arms and they're not afraid to use any guy in any situation, including the ninth inning, because all they treat it as is three outs. I know it's the biggest three outs, but they go out there and if they're not being the guy that the pressure is expected on to close out every game, they've got three guys in that pen that throw 98 plus with just as nasty stuff as Diaz, but they're not being counted on as being the guy, right? So I think that helps. And that's what kind of what the Mets were trying to do by having a Batances, by having a Familia, by having a Justin Wilson, guys that can finish out the game for you. And it didn't have to be all the pressure on Diaz. You could put Diaz against, you know, better matchups, guys that he has done well against or guys that, you know, you see the matchup as, as being favorable for him. And until he gets to that dominating level again, and I think he's very close He's very close. It's just that every mistake that he makes leaves the ballpark. That's the sad part. Yeah. Yeah. And it breaks your heart. I mean, you talk about a story of rooftops. I mean, it makes you jump off. On that. <laughs> I got to stop joking about that. But I mean, it, I mean, we're doing it in a joking sense, but we do take it seriously. Do not jump off a of rooftop. Uh, just soak in the beautiful Manhattan skyline. Michael Conforto is really what we need to finish on before we give it to Zach Braziller because he's just doing so much for this team right now and really putting all the pieces together. And we've seen him show strides, but a lot of inconsistency, go through slumps. You know, he's hitting 340, Figgy, and he has a 428 on base percentage. He's got eight homers, 27 RBIs. He's a, you know, he's he's an MVP candidate, to be honest with you. Um, he's playing every day. He's fielding. He's making great throws. You know, you ha- Steve Cohen's got to extend him in the offseason because this is – remember the rumors that they should trade him uh, before this season and they were like, oh, trade him for a guy like uh, – what was it, Clevenger? And now if you traded him for Clevenger, you would be fired on the spot. I mean, Michael Conforto is just tearing the cu- – he's doing everything and he's become like kind of this quiet leader. He lets his play do the talking. You got to give this guy what what is it going to take? 20, 22, 20, maybe not 25, but 20 million a year. Yeah, it, it's going to take at least 20 million a year. You got to remember he's a Boris client um and he's going to get top dollar. Uh you know, he is the face of the franchise in New York and has been here for the longest, right? He's the carryover. Just think about how how the game has changed, right? What you have this player now who is 28 years old, and he has been here the longest of anybody in a Met uniform. You remember how he came in, made a huge contribution right away, uh, and he was put into the bright lights and big pressure going all the way to the World Series. He was in the middle of that lineup, and he was a kid who started out the year in A-ball, you know, and you saw him his ascension was so quick, and once he got to the major leagues, it was obvious that he was a guy that, that should stick. Um, I think with the trade talk and all that stuff, you got to dangle around the biggest thing you have. You you can't. You wouldn't even go into trade talks with you know. Oh, we got a, a slap hitting second baseman in the minor leagues. You know, we want your best pitcher for it. No, of course you're gonna. They did the same thing when they dangled around Noah Syndergaard, right? You want to create a buzz. You want to. You're a new GM. You hey say you you ask everybody if there was one guy you could have right now, and they knew that Degrom was gonna get paid. So they were like, eh, I don't know about Degrom because we're gonna have to pay him. 
But then you turn around and you say the youngest starting pitcher with the highest upside is probably Syndergaard. So they dangled him around. And he probably was in the know about it. I don't think it's it, it, it's a much of a surprise whether his agent knew or not. But I think Brody would talk to the agent and say, look, I'm going to dangle him around. See what see what kind of offers we get. See what kind of – just you might get a different offer and make a different deal. But you start out with a, hey, we got this guy up for, up for sale. Now all of a sudden people are taking notice. And so I think that's what Brody was doing. That's just gamemanship. Um, now in reality, talking about locking up, yeah, Conforto has to be locked up. And, and you want to try and keep him a Met – you know, until he's old and gray, because in baseball, old and gray is what, 34 now. So if you can keep him for another six years, you do that. Uh, you you want to have this guy for a long, long time. He's homegrown. The pressure of New York doesn't get to him. He reminds me a lot of David Wright, where you don't know his business. He doesn't. He's not a guy you have to worry about off the field. And what do you know is that when the door opens up and there's a, a guy waiting there and the, the media walks in, He's the first person they they go to. They, they always want to know, you know, how he's feeling about the team. He's he gives the, the good quotes, and he's also a, he's just such a level-headed player. He's always been that way. He's he's wise beyond his years, and now all of a sudden he's twenty-eight years old. He's in his prime, and uh, he has looked fantastic. Figgy, I got to say, I got a little uncomfortable the amount of times you talked about dangling big things around. Um. <laughs> You, it's, it's, you use the not, word dangling. That, that's, a new con, that's a new concept for you. I get it. <laughs> you use the word dangling about five times. I was thinking of Chuck Berry, my ding-a-ling. Uh, Bob Brown. I just saw that on the internet the other day. Uh, really? A Bob Brown cassette special in the car. Uh, Sarah's looking on like, who is Chuck Berry? She doesn't She doesn't know this Chuck Berry life. She's like, who? Uh, he's only one of the kings of rock and roll, Sarah. Uh, but yeah, my ding-a-ling, look it up. Great song. We're not going to dangle anything around here. The Mets play the Blue Jays this weekend and Figgy, you hand the ball to the ace and you got to give him run support and take every series. If you take two of three, two of three, two of three, two of three, and then three and four, three of four against the Nats, there's your magic number, 11 and five. So you can afford a loss in each series, but that's it. If you lose one or two series without sweeping, the season's over. So now it's go time for the Metsies. And you know what? This was almost going to be a yelling Jake show. But guess what? It was a happy Jake show. Let's go Mets. 16 games to go. I believe in a comeback. You know what? I think the Mets are going to do it. 11-5. They're going to get in the playoffs. And it's going to be an October amazing but true special twice a week. Let's go. It's time to do it. That's pumped me up. And as Mike Pulwood tweeted, it reminds you of a game that I was at. And I think it might have been a first date, actually, I had. It was a Shrubal Cabrera walk-off homer against the Phillies in 2016. I'll always remember that game. It was a long night. And, it, you know, it got their season turned around. And obviously, they lost in the one-game playoff. But that's the kind of moment when Michael Conforto makes that catch. And Pete Alonso hits that homer. It's a little different with no fans. a little different in 2020. But that's what's got to get the season and this comeback rolling. Coming up next on Amazing But True is New York Post sports writer, fellow, uh, I always say fellow historian. You know, I love my historians. He's also a historian, Zach Braziller. Joining us now is friend of the program and fellow historian, New York Post sports writer, Zach Braziller. You can follow him on Twitter at NY Post underscore Brazil with an extra L-E at the end. 
Zach, welcome back to the show. I know, you know, we text and we are both looking forward to the Steve Cohen era coming to theater soon, coming to a theater near you. Uh, when's the timeline of this potentially getting done? And do you buy into the potential hiccup of the J-Rod bid still being in the picture? No, I, I think the, the J-Rod thing is a, it's what they want to happen. I mean, they're obviously still trying to, you know, be involved some way, but it, it sounds like it's going all the way. You know, it sounds like this deal could be done in days, if not weeks. There, there is language in the contract. Everyone says that needs to be ironed out. But it sounds like he's going to be the owner as long as he gets approval from 23 baseball owners, which I would think will happen considering how much money he's willing to pay for this fran- for this franchise. It's It's been a two-horse race for a while, so I'm not surprised that, that A-Rod and J-Lo are still, you know, trying to muddy the waters, but I, I think it's pretty clear that Cohen's going to be the owner when it's all said and done. Yeah, for me, I, I think it's crazy to come up with that strategy now after, you know, the team is almost certainly sold to Cohen. They came up with the strategy of making J-Lo the principal owner, which is, you know, first female owner, first Latina owner, all the great things that would have great to lead with. But they never did that. They led with, oh, A-Rod. And meanwhile, you know A-Rod's hated by all the owners. A-Rod wasn't exactly the best choice. I do like the fact that there's other minorities involved as well, other professional athletes that were pooling together money to kind of run this. And it was a different look. And like we said just now, they have an opportunity to do something different. In fact, what if they were to say the Wilpons could still have a percentage or some kind of ability to hold on to a, a small portion that would probably be enticing to them since they didn't want to give up total control the way they did with SNY and everything else. So that's still, I think, why that, that they would even make a plea. Because if it was a done deal, then why would they even make that up now of having that option or having that that aspect of it? So I'm, I'm still thinking that they, they still might have a shot. You never say never, especially with the Wilpons, but mm-hmm. it just seems like with Saul Katz is just such a factor here. You know, he he wants the, the bid with the most money. He wants out of the business. It just seems like Saul is pretty, pretty high um, on Cohen and and that, the, you know, all reports are that deal is basically done except for mm-hmm. just the minor paperwork and some minor details. But until it's signed, until he's approved, you know, I, I think it makes sense for A-Rod and J-Lo to, to still be out there trying to convince people that they should be in the mix. When Boston, when the, uh, remember when the Red Sox sold and the Yorkies had it in their will that a certain percentage would go to the Boys and Girls Club, I think it was. And they didn't go to the highest bidder either. That was a very strange thing. So it's been done before. It's, it has happened before where for some strange reason, it, it's not to the highest bidder. There are people that have thrown in higher bids and they just decided to go with a different ownership group. Um, so I, I don't know. It's very Owners in baseball have always done some very strange things. It's never – you look at the franchise of what they're worth and, and – the initial reports were what 2.3 billion was the something like that of the bid and then uh if if sny was thrown in they would throw in even more money i I don't know i just think that there's a a very stickiness about the way baseball as a business has always worked it's just been fascinating to me to be on the other side of it looking in now yeah look it's it's a very it's a very intricate process i mean this ever since the the initial deal fell apart in february you know then they said they were going to an auction it's been a long process and there i can imagine there are a million little minute details that have to get you know Mm -hmm. tied up and and everything but i mean it it sounds like it's it's Cohen's team to lose, and it sounds like the guy really wants it. He's obviously got deep pockets. He's a lifelong Met fan. I think it 
it'd be a great thing for Mets fans. I really do. And it's not, not necessarily about him signing all the big free agents. I know you always, Mets fans are always saying, oh, well, he's going to go sign this guy, that, like, <laughs> who knows? We, we don't know that. My thing is, I think he would beef up scouting. He would beef up analytics. He would hire smart people. He would run them like a real major market team should be run. And I'm not even talking about payroll. I'm talking about, you know, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Yankees, you look at their the, the minor league systems, and you look at their international scouting. To me, that's something the Mets kind of have been behind a little bit. And I think that would be something that he would he would bring just based on everything you hear and everything you read about what he's about. Yeah, the Mets are riding the horse and buggy. The Yankees and Dodgers are riding the Porsche. And now the Porsche is coming to town with Uncle Stevie, as fans are already calling him. They're making him part of the family pretty quickly. Um, it's going to be interesting. And like you said, we're not going to know officially till November till this vote happens. So Mets fans are going to have to wait a few more months. Uh, and, you know, his one of his first moves might be being, you know, I know they're talking about the statue of Tom Seaver out to the stadium. We'll see if he's paying for it or the Wilpons are paying for it. Mexico will pay for it. <laughs> well, soon enough, next to that statue, you're going to need a statue of Michael Conforto because what this handsome mother effer is doing out there, he's lighting up the lighting up at the plate, lighting up in the field, one of the, the play of the year on Wednesday night. I mean, is the first move you got to think of is to extend him, right, Zach? And I mean, what kind of money do you think per year that Conforto is going to get? Because this year, in a full season, he was getting eight million. He's got one more year arbitration eligible, but. If I'm the Mets, I would lock this guy up. I think we also have to see who who's the GM. Is he going to keep Brody, who we all know has made a ton of mistakes? Is he going to – I would think – I've always been of the opinion since it was obvious they were going to sell that the new owner would probably want his own person. Maybe they want a president and a GM. Maybe they want just the GM. You know, So I, I've long been of, the, been of the opinion that there will be a new general manager. Now maybe because Cohen doesn't start until November, he said let's ride it out with the current, you know, power structure and Please let don't. me really get Please the lay don't. of the land. <laughs> if you follow, look, Cohen is a limited partner on the, he, already. He's a huge Mets fan. I'm sure he's paid attention and seen mm. some of the moves that, that Brody has made. I can't imagine he's a big fan. But, yeah, I mean, whoever's making the decisions, I think the first move is Conforto. I mean, maybe five for 100. He's had, look, I've always been a Conforto fan. I've always thought, though, that there was kind of more there. He would go into these slumps, and this year he really hasn't done that. Look, he's got a 990 OPS. He's hitting 340. He's played amazing defense. You know, him and Dom Smith have clearly been their two best players. I don't think there's any argument there, obviously besides the Grom, but that kind of goes without saying. But yeah, look, they gotta lock him up. You can't make enough. You can't have another Zach Wheeler here. You know, I know, I know, Conforto's been more consistent than Wheeler was, but that to me is, if you do have a Cohen in here and you're gonna start having a bigger payroll, that's one thing that the Mets, the new Mets power, power, you know, whoever it is has to change you can't let good home run players go like they you know i know wheeler technically was a trade but he they did develop him here mm -hmm. um so I, I would think whoever is in whoever is making the decisions is going to bring in conforto and give him his money i mean it's a no-brainer to me yeah you have to have that franchise player and yes while pete alonzo splashed on the scene and you know hit all those home runs he's leading the team in home runs again that's great but conforto is the, definitely the backbone um he's that link to any you know Mets pass when you talk about who the next captain should possibly be, everybody jump, has been jumping on the bandwagon right to oh it's got to be Alonzo. Conforto has been that steady presence, and you see what he does um, in a lineup where there are other hitters, there are other threats, but he's the guy that makes you pay more often than not. 
when he comes up to the plate and especially in, in, in big situations, he seems to come up clutch. That catch last night, though, that's otherworldly. That's not a, a Michael Conforto type deal like, oh, you know, we're used to that. No, his smile of like, oh, my God, I actually caught that ball. That's actually refreshing in this day and age of guys, you know, you know, bat flips and everything else. That was a genuine moment of, wow, look what I just did. And it turned that game around right there. And just what he brings to the table, I think the next Met captain has to be Conforto. Yeah, I mean, the, the I think he's played – he's always been a, a solid outfield. I always found it – it was funny when he first called, got called up, there was like talk that he wasn't really a good defensive player. And then he was – you know, he's always been consistent. I don't know where, where the, that talk came from, why people didn't think he was a good defensive player. But I think he's been better than ever this year defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he made a really nice basket catch against the Phillies. A DD hit one to the track that he yep. made a really nice play on. He's been terrific. He's throwing people out. Um, I think he's he's been great. You know, my only thought about him as a captain, he's kind of quiet. Alonzo's much more, much louder. That would be my only thought about him as a captain. He just seems he's more of a kind of, you know, lead by example type guy where Alonzo is very vocal and, I don't think is afraid to ever offer his his opinion on things. Well, you also saw David Wright wasn't really that rah rah guy, and when he yeah. became when he became captain, it was the same kind of thing. Because I think when Conforto came to the big leagues, remember who was he getting molded by? He took the job of Michael Kadire, literally took his job away from him, and sat there with Michael Kadire almost every in between innings and every other thing just learning about the game and, and kind of it went from him then to Curtis Granderson kind of again mentoring Michael Conforto about the ups and downs you know and when he first came in with that big splash it was expected that oh he would never you know have a slump and we, we actually at SNY we compared him to Mike Trout after his first however many games and he had better numbers than Mike Trout and then all of a sudden he went into that slump and we were like oh look we just put the curse on him so seeing him as consistent as he's gotten, he seems to soak up from all the superstars around him. Cano is another influence who's very quiet, right? He does things very quietly. But when you ask anybody, I think, in that clubhouse, you know, about a guy that you would want to be on the field with, I think Conforto is definitely still that guy. It's clear he's, he's kind of one of the veterans now, at least, you know, on this team, at least when you look at the guys in the field, I mean, of, of the young core, you know, when you talk about Alonzo and McNeil and Donovan, Conforto's been there the longest. I think guys do look up to him. And, you know, he's, you know, before before the virus, when they had the clubhouse open, he'd always be a guy that we, would talk in tough times and when the team was struggling and never hid from the media or anything. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that has probably has the respect of everyone in that clubhouse. Yeah. All right, Zach, last one for you. 16 games to go. Did Wednesday inspire this team to go on a run? I mean, 10 and 6 potentially gets you in 11 and five is pretty much should be a lock that you get in at 11 and five. That makes you 31 and 29. Do you think that one win did enough or is it too little too late for this team? I just don't think they have the pitching. You know, I mean, the offense is really coming around. McNeil's hitting Alonzo's hitting Dom has been great all year. Conforto Jimenez. I could see them winning eight or nine of these games. I just think that the pitching, whether it's Porcello and Waka, whether it's the bullpen blowing a big game, I do think they're going to go on maybe a maybe a little mini run. I, I think they'll win two or three this weekend, especially when you have DeGrom and Lugo starting the series against Toronto. I just think kind of like last year, there's going to be a game or two where they just get, you know, a game that you think they have won that they lose in a big spot, and that's going to take their momentum away. And and then, look, I guess they're, they're considering going to a four-man rotation. 
the next turn, which is the move they have to make. You know, the, the less we see Walk and Porcello, the way they're pitching right now is probably probably the better. You know, you hope Peterson's next start is better. It's a shame that they just don't have a little more pitching because that lineup right now is terrific. Zach Brazil, or follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Brazil with an L-E at the end. Uh, read his stories in the post, nypost.com, covering all sports. Zach, I'm looking forward to our next time of getting the meat sweats from the meat candy at Butcher Bar because we know that is the best. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. And that says goodnight to episode 26 or the Marco Scudero or El Duque or Robinson Chirinos episode of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Sweet dreams and thanks to Jake and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Amazing But True wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. Otherwise, Jake will block you. For Nelson Figueroa, who I have yet to block but still doesn't follow me, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back on Monday after a big three-game set with the Blue Jays up in Buffalo. Enjoy your weekend and football, folks. As always, stay safe.